uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there on the internet. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. What would you give to live forever? Hell, what would you give to have the body of an 18-year-old well into your 40s? That's the goal of tech CEO Brian Johnson. He is, by his own estimation, the most measured man on the planet. He takes between 112 and 130 pills a day, eats a restrictive diet, he has automated his body. It's an expensive process, and one that has robbed him of what many of us would see as the simple joys in life. Drinks with friends, late night pizza, a little sugar in your bowl. Motherboard senior editor Maxwell Strawn has met the man and spent time with him, and he's written a very good and very long feature about him that really kind of dives into Brian Johnson, who he is, and what all of this is about. He's here with us today on Cyber to talk about it. Maxwell, thank you once again for returning to Cyber. Thanks for speaking with me. Okay, so who is Brian Johnson? Uh, Brian Johnson is a Silicon Valley success story. He uh, founded a company called Braintree that was kind of a payment processing company uh, in 2007, I believe. And uh, they were very successful. They uh, bought a small company at the time known as Venmo uh, and then spun uh, and then uh, in around 2013, Johnson sold the company to PayPal. Uh, the, he, the overall, they made $800 million and I believe Johnson made about 300 million of that. So that sort of, uh, launched him off, uh, into far loftier sort of goals. And what is the loftier goal he is currently pursuing? Uh, Johnson, uh, well, to take a step back, initially Johnson was very interested in the brain and better understanding the brain. So he started a company called Kernel, uh, and was developing a helmet. that's like a piece of hardware to try and read what's going on inside the brain. But over the last couple of years, Johnson's become really obsessed with better understanding the overall body. And so, uh, uh, he has started it started by him just wanting to look and feel a little bit better. Uh, and he, but it's morphed into a, something where he's measuring, uh, all of his organs all the time, obs- obsessively watching what he eats, obsessively curating his workout routine and every aspect of his waking and sleeping life, uh, in, uh, in an attempt, I guess, to, uh, slow down the aging process or he hopes even, uh, uh, retract it a little bit and and get younger i think obsessive maybe almost undersells uh the the picture you paint in the feature but we'll get into it yeah sure (laughs) um so how how old he's 45 right his chronological age is 45 yes (laughs) Why, why do you say chronological age uh, Johnson's really interested in this field, kind of this emerging new scientific field called epigenetics. Uh, and the idea here, uh, to oversimplify it is that yes, we have our chronological age, the number of days we've been alive, but you can measure, uh, essentially the health of someone, uh, in a way that attaches a, a an epigenetic age to it so for example you know if you smoke and drink a lot and live a hard partying lifestyle and eat like crap you might be 40 years old chronologically but maybe uh your overall health uh puts you at somewhere closer to you know 50 55 60 
In the same way, uh, you can have a, theoretically a slightly younger epigenetic age than your chron- chronological one. So, so Johnson really, uh, saw this as a way to basically make himself younger. And he sort of clung on to epigenetics as, uh, as his way into the fountain of youth. So he's been kind of obsessively measuring that, uh, and, tr- and claims to have broken the world record for, uh, the largest reversal in his epigenetic age. What's his epigenetic age? So for a while, uh, right now, I think it's about 42 and a half, which is actually just a two and a half years younger uh, than his chronological age. But, you know, I think a year or two ago, uh, it was quite a bit younger. So I don't know what that says about him. But uh, in in one eight-month period, he claims to have... uh, reduced his epigenetic age by 5.1 years. Uh, and so uh, he's very proud of that fact uh, and uh, tells you all about it consistently in every platform that he can. How does one measure their epigenetic age? Um, it's a DNA. T- it's basically looks at a complex process called DNA methylation tests. Uh, essentially what they are are uh tests that look at the health of your various organs essentially um and Brian is trying to figure out ways to do it organ by organ so not only to say my overall you know epigenetic health based age is 42 and a half but you know my skin is that of a 25 year old my heart is that of a 37 year old you know my my uh uh you know I don't know, uh, any part of you is just putting a, a marker on each aspect of that. And I think that's uh, a little bit more controversial, even with people within the epigenetic community. Yeah, one of the interesting things I uh, I found about the story in Johnson is the the mix of deep trust in this new scientific field in like medical science and all these measurements. Uh, and then like, Weird stuff, like he's he's on a restricted calorie diet. He eats about 500 calories less than uh, somebody at his size would for a maintenance weight. The number of those calories is 1977. Max, will you tell the audience how he came up with the number 1977? <laughs> yeah, I asked him. I was like, 1977, that's a very particular number of calories. How did you get there? And I thought, you know, he'd say, oh, well, that's, you know, we put in this, uh, uh, all of my metrics to this complex algorithm. And, you know, that was what was spouted out. And then he just told me, yeah, that was the year I was born. And he kind of measured, he compared it to, you know, seeing a uh, stop sign that's 17 miles per hour instead of 20, saying like, you might notice it more or pay closer attention to it. I I, I don't know. I think it's a, it's, you know, it's not the biggest deal and it's him having a little bit of fun, but I think it also shows that. He's really obsessed with saying it's all about the data. It's all about the data. But these are these there are these sort of human preferences like that and his desire to remain vegan and uh, his uh, his workout team routine being largely crafted by his teenage son, who is probably not like a, you know, sure is a talented, smart person, but probably is not like the leading expert uh, in uh, workout routines. So I, I, I thought that there were, it was just kind of interesting because he claims it's all about the science. It's all based on the data. It's all world class. But then he does exhibit his own preferences, which made me wonder, you know, how much of it is science versus how, how much of it is kind of 
his desire to have control and to have every aspect of his life under control. And what's the the goal here? The number I keep seeing touted around is he wants to have an 18-year-old's body for as long as possible, right? Yeah, well, he's not there yet, right. although maybe certain certain numbers of his, uh, certain parts of his body, so he claims are. I think his skin has been pushed back to 26 by the time I met him, he said. Um, that's the goal. Yeah, he, he said that he wants to be biologically identical to his teenage son, Talmadge, uh, and, um, and he is obsessed with that fact. He's very... Uh, very interested in his skin and does, goes through a lot of painful procedures uh, to kind of uh, like light therapy and all sorts of things like this that he, he said can feel like you're being branded. And that I think the skin stuff has become a, a real fascination for him. I don't know how well it's working. I mean, just to be honest, this is just me, but he still looks like a middle-aged man when I, when I hang out with him, uh, he still, he de- looks, nowhere close to being an 18 year old. And I, I don't think that should be surprising. It would be miraculous if he did look 18 years old. Uh, but I think it just shows, you know, how much of it is kind of a pipe dream still. He does look good for a middle-aged man. Right? Of course he has, he has body fat is like, you know, just over 5%. Uh, he, uh, yeah, he works out. He has an incredible, I mean, He's on an intense caloric restriction diet, but everything he eats is quote unquote healthy. It's a lot of, you know, fiber, a lot of greens. You're going to, you're going to, you know, look decent. I mean, my concern would be, is he, you know, getting enough nutrients in a typical day, but you know, I'm not a nutritionist or a scientist. So, you know, I just asked the, some outside nutritionists and scientists themselves and, and they express similar concern, but yeah, I mean, He's buff, you know, he sleeps well, you know, there's a lot to be jealous of. What can you say? Yeah. Can you, speaking of sleeping well, could you uh, reprise the anecdote you opened the, opened the piece with? Cause it's very funny. Right. Yeah. So, um, so Brian has all of this medical testing, uh, uh, all of these medical testing devices throughout his house, especially in uh, this room on the second floor. Um, he has like a MRI machine, all this different stuff. And he was really excited uh, to show me this uh, electromagnetic pulse uh, machine that kind of focuses on your pelvic floor. And he was like, you got to sit on top of this. Uh, you got to try this out. And so I sat on top of it. It feels like, you know, two tiny hands uh, uh, punching at your gonads in repeats, repeated succession for however long you want to do it. And I was like, well, why do you have this? You know, why, why do you need to strengthen your pelvic floor? He said, oh, well, you know, typically this is for uh, women who have just given birth. But, you know, I like to use it to strengthen my pelvic floor so that I can stop peeing, getting up to pee at night. And I was like, well, why why is that such a concern to you? And he said, well, you know, it's uh, it's a sign of aging. So. You know, I'm willing to, I think he does it in 30 minute chunks, which is a very painful thing to do. Um, and, uh, yeah, he said, you know, it's been great, not only for, uh, not waking up in the middle of the night, but also for, uh, my level of urination strength. And I was like, well, what does your level of urination strength have to do, uh, with anything? He said, well, it's a sign of aging. And then he told me, uh, well, you know, it also allows you to pee further from the toilet. And I said, well, why? Do you need to pee further from the toilet? He said it's a sign that you're 
getting younger. And so, I mean, are those things true? Uh, one, uh, are, are all of those things true? I mean, I could believe that, you know, not getting up at night is a nice quality of life enhancer, but urination strength and, and how, especially how far you can pee from the toilet. I don't know. I think you're getting into something a little bit different there and a little bit more, I almost want to say cosmetic. Is this the first conversation you have with him when you come in? No, it took a little while to get here. I mean, the first, the first conversation we had was, uh, his son was, uh, eating, uh, one of his, uh, blueprint meals, they're called. And, uh, I was asking his son immediately about it. And his son told me that he loves it and he <laughs> gave it a 10, 10 out of 10 rating. It looks a little bit like gobbledygook, to be honest, but, uh, you know, that's is, what he said. Is this the blueprint meal that you yourself tried? Yeah, uh, it was one of them. So, um, I ate a bunch of stuff while I, while I was there, there was one sort of, uh, one sort of strange drink that we first drank that had spermidine and creatine and all sorts of things in it. It was fine. It wasn't the worst thing I've ever tasted, but you know, was what it was. Then we had, I, I had 12 supplemental pills of various sorts, including a red proprietary red wine pill. And then I had this sort of sludge, uh, this super veggie sludge. He didn't blend it up for me, but it was strange. It had broccoli and chocolate and cauliflower. Uh, it was just, and the chocolate didn't taste like chocolate because it was very pure, I guess. Uh, so he says, uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's chocolate that has been tested to make sure that it's not contaminated with heavy metals. Right. It's like, yeah, the whole diet is kind of like if you uh, took Whole Foods, condensed it into 1977 calories and give it gave it a bit of a glow up, I guess. Uh, it's uh, yeah. So uh, I ate, ate a bunch of different things. And I will say, like, it, there's a lot of fiber in that stuff. I was very full. And to be honest, I felt a little sick <laughs> later that day. Um uh, I don't know why could have been totally unrelated, but I felt like I had to lie down and <laughs> maybe it was the large number of supplements. It was your red wine pill. It was my red wine pill. Yeah. I just took it out of me. All right. So listeners want to pause there for a break. We'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Daniel founder of pretty litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created pretty litter. A health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right, cyber listeners, welcome back. We are talking to Maxwell Strawn about the man who would live forever. Why divorce? I think there's something so telling about developing a pill that gives you the supposed benefits of drinking a glass of red wine while removing the pleasure of drinking the glass of red wine at the same time. Yeah. I mean, for, for Brian, I think it's that there were too many downsides to infusing any liquor into your uh, system at all. Uh, and that, was not seen as worth it for him. I, I asked him a lot about, you know, he, you know, he seems claims he's very happy. And in a way I can understand that, like 
if you never ate any junk food, if you never drank, if you go to bed at 8.30 and sleep eight and a half hours and eat well, I can imagine that would give you a sense of calm. But, you know, when I said, you know, food is a huge part of human culture, it always has been. And it seems like you're trying to strip that away and think that people will follow you in doing that. Like, isn't that odd? I don't think he really, I don't think that really registered with him. He said that, you know, he grew up in kind of uh, in Utah. He just said food was never a big deal in his family. It was kind of sugar cereal and he just, he was not a foodie by his own admission. And I think that is causes him to miss a large part of the plot for a lot of people, you know, like, I, I don't know, like he doesn't seem to obtain pleasure from eating a bowl of pasta with other friends. I don't know. It's, it's, there's something missing there. Well, and he's also, you know, a large part of, no, certainly not all, there's like the simple aesthetic pleasure of like eating a good bowl of pasta, but there is also the communal aspect that you are sharing this meal with people that you love and are friends with. And he does have that to a certain extent. You said his son was eating the strange goop when you came in. Um, he's, he's got parts of his family like doing this with him, right? Yeah. He, uh, his son is pretty on board. Who's 17. He said his son, uh, he has another son who's in college. Who's kind of doing what he can, but he's like a freshman or a sophomore in college. And, it's hard. And then he said his 13 year old daughter is not on board at all. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I asked him, uh, you know, is this like a lonely thing to do? Uh, you know, it just to, to not have that sense of community. And so he claims it's not, you know, he, he said, uh, it's a great conversation starter, which I'm sure it is. Uh, and, uh, you know, it makes the time more precious because, for example, he goes to bed at 8.30 no matter what's happening. So he says if he's in conversation with someone at 8.15. They know they have 15 minutes left with him. It's uh, it's strange. I mean, would I want to do it? Probably not. Um, you know, it's clear that it's given him something. Um, it's hard to deduce how much of it is an appreciation for his new physical appearance which is uh, attractive in certain ways according to sort of conventional norms and how much of it is sort of i don't know the physical aspect of how it's helping his brain chemistry or something well and there's a control thing going on here right can you tell us about um and this is a part like when i got to this uh, uh in the piece i was like i i connected with him here can you tell us about evening brian yeah. Uh, so evening Brian, uh, this is his term, um, is sort of the character he used to describe how he acted in the evening. So he said for a long time, he would try and work out and he would try and eat healthy during the day. And then at night, you know, that was kind of like the worst version of himself and his eyes would come out and he would, you know, binge eat or eat too much dinner and, uh, it made him feel bad about himself. And he said he would go to bed so full he felt sick. And I mean, probably not everyone can relate to that, but I think certainly a lot of people can, myself included. And so, um, you know, I, I don't, I think that's a totally normal thing to, you know, have issues with, with regard to yourself. But 
Brian decided essentially that he was going to, his words were fire evening, Brian. Um, and so consequently he developed the, uh, blueprint protocol to stop himself from having agency at night. And so, I mean, I think the story is interesting because it's his root insecurities his root body image issues are something I think a lot of people relate to. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a matter, uh, it's a question of extremes. Uh, and I think, you know, that's why I find Brian interesting is he, he, in some ways is coming from the same place that a lot of uh, people come from, but it, it, I think is probably dealing with it in some unhealthy ways. Well, and he also, he's got the money to do these yes. things. How much does this cost? Yeah. So I think the total for this year will be $2 million. And that's, that's food. That's sort of, you know, the sort of day-to-day -day perishables, but I think a lot of it is the machinery and the testing that he goes through. Um, I kind of referenced earlier, but he really has like a medical grade mini hospital set up in his house. He, you know, analyzes his own blood at home. He gets his blood drawn at home. He has, you know, he's so excited about the number of machines uh, that he has to kind of poke and prod at himself. Um, so yeah, it's $2 million, uh, uh, right now. Maybe it'll go down once he's, you know, collected the entire hospital collection, but, uh, uh, it's a substantial amount. Um, and so, you know, I think a, a lot of people have always wondered, like, what would happen to me if I gained a bunch of money? And I think a lot of people think, uh, Ooh, I'd like, you know, be really happy and travel the world, but I've always been a little skeptical of that. And, uh, you know, in the same way that we're talking about, oh, I relate to Evening Brian, I've always kind of wondered if I came into a lot of money, would I, you know, end up with some strange fascination that wouldn't particularly healthy and no one to really stop me from going <laughs> at it? Well, I mean, he kind of admits to that in a certain way in the piece. Doesn't he say, like, uh, you know, I've, I've got all this money and it didn't make me happy or satisfied, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that was basically what happened was uh, he made all of this money from uh, his initial startup. And, you know, he's he's this is not me revealing anything. He's talked a lot about how he had uh, has struggled with chronic depression and really had a hard time uh, and dealt with a lot of mental health issues throughout his life. Um, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think when he got all that money and he didn't, you know, feel happy every, he still woke up feeling bad about himself. I think you think what else is there? And I think that's natural. I'm sure lots of wealthy people have felt that way before they thought that the money would cure something and it doesn't. And so you start searching for something else. How did he take away agency from evening? Brian, I think somewhere in the piece, he said that he had killed evening Brian, right? Or that evening Brian is dead. Yeah. Um, this is like one of the areas where I just, I just am not sure how, if it's, I don't quite know. I mean, I think he just became determined. I think basically he had, he won't really talk about what particular steps he did, except that he started eating one meal a day and wouldn't let himself eat 
another meal. Um, and I think probably just saying no and having it be strict like that made it a little bit easier for him. Well, there was um, inf- there's some sort of infraction system also in place. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Brian refers to mistake. He said he made about 75 uh, mistakes since he started uh, the blueprint protocol, as he calls it. Uh, and But he refers to them as infractions, and that's how they're referred in the Johnson household. And I found that language really interesting um, because to me, obviously, it sounds punishing. And it's, you know, Brian chooses to do this. You know, he has his own sense of agency. But I just wonder what effect that has uh, on the other people in his life, especially people who are uh, younger in age, um, you know, to, for example, I was like, well, what's an example of an f- infraction, Brian? And he didn't say, you know, oh, once I ate a graham cracker, it was that his son had uh, eaten a piece of candy while they were building gingerbread houses over the holidays. I just thought that was, you know, I just don't know, you know. People can raise their kids however they want, but there's something questionable about that because I, I just wonder from a body image standpoint if it's healthy to, you know, refer to the moments that could be like memories and moments of joy. And sure, you know, you don't want to eat too much sugar, but to refer to that as an infraction, I don't know. It's just uh, even if he's not forcing anyone to be on the blueprint protocol, which he says he's not, uh, I can't imagine that's like, the greatest thing. Yeah. I can't imagine, you know, you're, you're, you're forging a holiday memory with your family building, like a a classic American one building gingerbread houses surrounded in candy and you eat a piece and you get an infraction. That's yeah. That that would stay with me, I think for a little while. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those things where it's hard to, I mean, I, I think I kind of struggled with how to write about it in the piece and uh, in general, but that sort of relationship between what he wants of himself and allowing his children to do what they want, but also impressing on them this series of values. Like I never really figured out how to make sense of that. Um, and if, you know, what degree of agency the other people in his life have. How much time does this take every day? Uh, there is, I think that's probably the wrong way to look at, look at it. This is his life. I mean, he wakes up at 530. He um, proceeds to take this drink of spermidine and creatine. He takes, at the time I was with him, 54 supplemental pills. He has, um, then he proceeds to have three meals that end by noon. Two of them are always the same. One is rotating. And then he's done with food for the, at noon. And then he goes to bed at 8.30. And he doesn't eat anything between 12 and 8.30. Or no, he doesn't eat anything between 12 and when he wakes up next morning. So, I mean, it's it, there is no differentiation between Brian and the protocol. It is kind of one and the same. Uh, and, and he likes it that way. Uh, he feels in control of his life. He loves the way he looks. He loves the way he feels. So he says, um, and, uh, yeah, there is no difference. 
Yeah, there's, again, interesting language in the way that he talked about it in the piece. I want to read this quote. Uh, Why do we think it's our domain? Talking about making food choices for yourself, health choices. Why do we think it's our domain? Why wouldn't an algorithm just do it for me? Why wouldn't I gleefully accept that that if I can maintain my body in perfect health? Um, He's given himself over to this protocol, right? Like you said, this is a full-time dedicated way to live to achieve this thing that he's attempting to achieve. Yeah. I think this goes back to sort of the confusion I was talking about with regards to the way Brian views food versus, you know, the broader culture or, you know, people all around the world. It's very utilitarian. It's utilitarian. It's like, you know, Brian says he's not a biohacker, but it's very biohackery. Um, You know, it's, uh, he sees the ultimate goal of food to be uh, your physical long-term health. And uh, he thinks, you know, that there is one, he's convinced, you know, there is one diet that's perfect for him uh, that he's searching out that will give him sort of perfect health and reduce uh, the possibility of anything bad happening to his body. And I think, you know, it's good to eat healthy. You know, I I don't think anyone will argue with that, but uh, I think that, you know, there's something sad about that too. And, you know, he, he says that he likes the food that he eats and I believe that he does. It's not most of it for the most part, some of it's a little gross, but most of it is fine, but it's just monotonous. And I, I found it visiting him a little lonely at times. It just felt like, you know, a man, man within, man within his castle kind of tell me about the thing with the jugular vein yeah so when he started um when he decided he was going to fire evening brian one of the first steps was to get a full analysis of every single part of his body so he did analysis of every major organ uh did all the blood work he possibly could any sort of test he could do uh he did it uh and so i asked him you know did you find anything, you know, is there anywhere, where, where, what kind of area are we starting with or what kind of person were we starting with that you needed to de-age? Uh, and the th- main thing that he found was uh, that he had jugular vein stenosis. I hope I'm saying that right. Which essentially means that his veins right here didn't drain quite properly. And there could be some issue with, with blood flow from his brain uh, down into his body. And it caused a huge amount of neuroses for him. Uh, he started kind of doing these obsessive chin workouts uh, a bunch of times a day. And he said that he thought about his posture about a hundred times a day. As, as you can imagine, or as, as you can probably guess, Brian is a pretty obsessive figure. And so finding out that he had something wrong inside him that he referred to as a ticking time bomb, I think drove him crazy. And so, you know, he, he claims the physical therapy and, uh, practicing his posture fixed it. I mean, you know, uh, that's what he says. And, uh, but I couldn't help but wonder, you know, like, what if he had never done the testing at all? Would it, you know, maybe it would have led to a stroke, but maybe people have things like that all over their bodies everywhere. Right. And like what he came away with is, you know, maybe he fixed it. But he also came away with a new, uh, this sort of new level of neuroses. So I, 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 again, I just, you know, there's a question in healthcare, how much preventative testing should be done? Uh, and there's an argument, you know, 
the more testing you do, the more likely you are to find stuff. But it can also cause kind of these large-scale neuroses that I think there are people who are critics of it. Um, you, I mean, you talked to people outside of Brian's life. You talked to health experts, scientists, people that study epigenetics, uh, nutritionists. What do they make of all this? Um, so I, I reached out. I spoke to one person in particular who I thought was really uh, fascinating. Her name is Morgan Levine. She is a researcher at Altos Labs. She used to be a professor at Yale. Um, and she studies epigenetics. And she's a real, you know, top academic uh, uh, in this field. And I, I kind of thought she would kind of say, good on Brian. And, she, you know, she did say, you know, you can't really fault someone for trying to be healthy. But generally, what she said was that the field is very young. There's a lot we don't know. We can't put epigenetic aids on very various organs. Um, it's we, we're still not even sure what epigenetic age means if it's linked to mortality. She also expressed a lot of concern about like the level of caloric deficit. So uh, just to zero in on that, you know, you referenced earlier, Brian loves that he's in a uh, constant caloric deficit of about 550 uh, calories uh, a day. Um, and he says that it's the number one evidence-based protocol. And I asked him, I was like, so what evidence is there that you should be staying in a caloric deficit of 550 calories? And the only response I got was scientific evidence. But when I asked Morgan, uh, you know, tell me what's the evidence for caloric restriction of this scale? She said, at best, it's mixed. Most evidence, most uh, st studies have been done on mammals, maybe worms, and sometimes they find that it can be uh, a net negative for someone's health or some worm's health. And uh, I spoke with the nutritionist who said the same. And so that made me wonder, you know, Brian says that it's all based in the numbers. It's all based in peer-reviewed studies. But, the, you know, the handful of people I spoke to who are, you know, pretty traditional down-the-line uh, academic types said, uh, no, that's not what the science says. So it made me wonder, you know, like I said earlier, how much of it is about the science and how much of it is actually about control. And I think that's sort of the question that I was juggling. So I want to uh, zoom out a little bit here at the end because Brian is not the only Silicon Valley person kind of obsessed with aging and death, right? This is, I would say that, that, that once a lot of these people get a certain amount of money, some of that money is going to be uh, chasing some, some Ray Kurzweilian kind of solution to, to living forever. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, th I think it's a big, topic in the valley and I, I spent a lot of time wondering why that was i mean my my pet theory uh is that you know once you get a lot of money you start thinking about you know money can buy me all these things it can buy me a house it can buy me the best food in the world i can travel anywhere i want but there are things that money can't buy and one of those things is uh the ability not to age the ability not to die it's really you know we have not been able to solve that one. I don't know if we ever will. Uh, and I think that kind of drives a lot of these people crazy because they've been able, you know, money's been able to solve a lot of the problems in their life. There's very little that is not in their control. 
but the fact that they get a little grayer every year and their skin crinkles up a little bit more every year and maybe they get a little bit more tummy every year, you know, they can't fix that. And I think it, I think it drives them crazy. Now, there's a lot uh, of interest in fixing it consequently or figuring out some way to at least slow it. Um, and, you know, I think this is a relatively new field, even for Silicon Valley, but I suspect that, you know, I suspect this will be a big area in the coming decade. Maxwell Strawn, what is the name of that piece on Motherboard? Uh, the Most Measured Man in Human History. If you want to read it, you can go there. I suggest you do. It's really incredible. Uh, if you like us, please follow us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash motherboard or on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV. You will be notified when we go live and we do live recordings, uh, which we will do again next week. Maxwell, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber and walking us through this. Thanks so much for having me. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough, Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.